Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Well, guys, what we got? We are talking about preparing for the teenage years. And teenagers can be tricky creatures. Dun, dun, dun. Monsters. (laughs) They tell you that they're no longer a baby. Sometimes they act worse than a five-year-old, in my opinion. But I mean, we don't have teenagers yet. And we don't even have tweens yet. But I feel like sometimes we're in a house of teens. And so we're in for it. But I have some very fun, funny, fun facts about teenagers that I'm going to start off with today. This should be good. It is good. Because when I was reading them, actually, I was reading this, you know, when you surf the internet, you kind of get lost and you go into, I don't even know, you go off on tangents. And one of them was 40 things that parents have said about their teenagers. It was like a roasting tweet. (laughs) And when I was reading them, I was legitimately crying. I was laughing so hard. But these fun facts, let me go through them and then maybe sometime throughout this recording, maybe I'll throw in some of the the really funny tweets as well. So the first one that I wanted to mention is nagging and critic parents. They actually cause their teen brains to shut down. So if it seems like your teenager is ignoring you or isn't listening, it's because they're not listening. They have actually physically shut down. But you're saying that like... If you have a nagging parent or a critic parent, and the teenager gets that look that like they're looking through you, it's because their brains have literally shut down. I mean, isn't that everybody? If someone nags <laughs> no, long enough- These are scientific facts. You literally say that all the time. You're like, <laughs> they don't hear me anymore. They do not hear my voice anymore. No, it's true. Our kids don't hear me anymore. Yeah, they're not even teenagers. I mean, they're gonna- not even teenagers. That's why I had to leave on a, a solo camping trip this weekend. Okay, the second thing is the teens who argue and who say no to their parents, are actually the ones who are less likely to cave into peer pressure, which I thought was really a very interesting fact, especially since we have three kids who say no all the time and test their boundaries because what they're doing is they are testing their boundaries in a very safe place with their parents. When they get to their peers and their friends, then they are more likely to be able to say no to alcohol, drugs, sex. Wow. I don't know where these facts come from, but that one is a great... Excuse. Like, oh, we're raising great kids. Yeah, they're not going to give into peer pressure. It's not that we can't control them. We're raising them to learn how to say no. This yeah, is fantastic. Yeah. And then I'll only do one more because there is a long list. Your teen's unpredictable behavior is just as confusing to them. So this is due to the massive hormonal messages that they are receiving and they are being reshaped and reconstructed. So as confusing as it is to us because parents are completely baffled at their behavior and their craziness, they too are completely baffled. I remember, I mean, my adolescence was not enjoyable. (laughs) It was not because (laughs) the inner turmoil, my mind was going all over the place I mean, I asked my dad for a partial lobotomy. Like, I, know. I couldn't stand the thing. I had no idea 
what was up, what was down, and I didn't know who I was. Were you was a normal terrible. teenager, though? I was a totally normal teenager. On the outside, people would be like, oh, Adam was well-adjusted. I could okay. fake it very well. Inside, I was loaded with anxiety and lost, so yeah, I lost. Guess that is a normal teenager. Okay. That is. So now, here's the thing. So Adam and I have been raising these girls now for 10 years, right? And I have always said right from the very beginning, because what is the normal... Now, I can't even, we have a guest today who has five girls, but we oh, have three we, girls. We have and, eight girls between. Uh, right. Awesome. So when we tell people, when we first meet people and we say we have three girls, what is their reaction literally every single time? There's two. One is, oh my God, you're so lucky, so much love. And the second is, <laughs> oh my God, you don't even know what you're in store what for you for going? the right. teenage years. Right. So it's like doom and gloom. One of them is doom and gloom because of the teenage years, right? So when I was in yoga school, one of the teachers had told me that there was a camp in India that the parents would send their team, when the kids turned teenagers, they would send their teenagers away to this camp. And it was far, far away on a farm and they would do community service. And I have literally feasted my eyes on this particular camp. But I have to tell you throughout the years, I have searched the internet. There is no such thing. I don't even know if this exists. How long? Like a week? No, she had said that they do it during the major hormonal years. So of they a send, teenager. they ship their kids off for like three years. Off. So you and I have looked forward to this figment, I guess, of our imagination because I can't find it anywhere. And then we have also said that I would raise the girls until the point of teenagers. And then I would turn them over to Adam and I would leave. <laughs> he yeah. would turn to Chinese medicine if, if ever and calm I, down their hormones. If ever I agreed to that. But he's a, backed out. I had my mother of, to back me on that one. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I feel like I was led falsely. Well, you're backing out now and that's not fair. Yeah, so. I back out. So anyway, we are bringing in our guest today who has five girls. I believe, and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they range from age of 10 to 27, 26, 27. So she has had the teenage years, I mean, an enormous bulk of kids in their teenage years all in one household. I cannot wait to talk to her. She's a returning guest. Go ahead, Adam, you can introduce her. Well, this is Annette, and we spoke to Annette originally a lot about marriage, marriage and, sex. and sex and navigating with a spouse. And it's even more impressive navigating with a spouse when you have five dependents <laughs> right. and you're going through that. I mean, there's so much that comes up. So we thought what guest could be better than having a net back on and kind of talking us through because our kids range from six to 10. And Annette has taken it, she has, like you said, 10 to the mid to upper 20s. So I'm just excited to have Annette back on. Annette, are you with us? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, From Annette. California. <laughs> <laughs> 10 to 25. 10 to 25. Okay, thank you. Natalie just turned 25. Yeah. Oh wow. my gosh. You have potentially, as I know, it's become later and later, where it used to be when, I remember when we were children, thinking of a 27-year-old, it was like, oh, that's mature. You're out of the house now. 27 is like, no, I'm back in the house. I <laughs> don't even know what I want yet. So <laughs> right. I think the, the line has changed. But technically speaking, you have one that is about to enter into adolescence and you have four other children that you've seen go through that. I'm dying to know like what you're preparing yourself for. And now what comes on the back end of that at 25 when hopefully at least hormonally, things have stabilized. 
what kind of perspective and what wisdom that has given you and getting you ready for this next round. Also, I would like to say that all these things that we say, oh, if I had only known, right? And if you are talking to a parent, which you are talking to two parents who are about to enter in some teenage years, and what would you say to us to prepare us for these years? Like get out and run? No, (laughs) I don't know why I already (laughs) sense you guys are probably doing a phenomenal job. And I think it's so hard with parents like advice. I think the best things we can do is share our stories. And I think we glean a lot from hearing people's stories and the trials and errors of parenting. I think I'm probably a better mom to Georgia at 10 than I was to the other girls going through it because I have more experience and I'm sort of like doing it again with some different kinds of wisdom to add to it. But still, they're all such different kids. I was looking at pictures of your kids wondering how they all are. I'm sure they're completely different people. They're angels. (laughs) 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 of course they are are. but so I feel and you're right it's funny that you say that because Natalie just came back yeah she just came back into so I had one leave and I had one return so I'm not down to one but back up to two and so that's interesting because you know her life had a situation and she needed to come home and make an adjustment and so anyway I would just say that one of the better things I did, I think the reason why the girls are talking to me (laughs) is because I held on to the reins in terms of I just never got to that point of frustration where I let go. I know some people that's what they need to do maybe, but for me, what I did with the girls was it wasn't about space, although I did give them space at times. They did spend plenty of time in their rooms, on their bed. I get it. And needed that time, especially in the teenage years, where they just didn't want to have much to say to me. I'm a pretty big communicator. Yes, you are. And I hung in there always with that basically unconditional love. I think early on, your kids know that, first of all, it is so true that they're modeling you. I've just got to say now, I'm giving myself a plug here, as imperfect as I am. I wasn't a drinker. or It wasn't like I was doing the very things I was telling them not to do. So I think they saw pitfalls in other people's lives and were thinking, okay, well, that's not one. Meanwhile, we had plenty of problems, but those kinds of problems we were dealing with were always out on the table. I wasn't a hider from those things, real family things, real family problems. And now I think, honestly, they look back and say, wow, we've met a lot more people in the world. We've met a lot of people through college. I guess we'll take our family problems as bad as we thought they were. (laughs) In comparison, they're not maybe as bad as some of the things Mm -hmm. that we've seen. They have two parents who really love each other and are devoted to each other and devoted to the family. I mean, because that's a great start for a lot of like chaos and situations and human beings that you can't control each and every one of their destinies. I just, I was not a helicopter parent at all. I sort of let it be. I mean, I tried, my prayer in the morning was to be a good example for them, Laura. That Mm -hmm. was it. Like, let me be an example of love and grace to them because how am I going to tell them how to do it right? It's my first time going through parenting. It's their first time being a kid. I don't know. It seems like a recipe for something that's not going to work very well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think what you said, and when I think of you and I think of the girls, and I do think of all of you a lot, even though we don't get a chance to talk to each other. But I think of that statement that you always ask me, is love enough? But I also think just knowing you from the years past, you are a very good communicator. 
And no matter what, you are there to talk it out, right? And I think that is a guide for me always is if I ever feel like the girls and I are going off the path, I bring them back to communicating, sitting them down, even from a very, very early age, probably too early, and just sitting them down, looking them in the eyes and just saying, what's going on with you, baby? Just talk to me. And I think, and I hope, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, that in the teenage years, when they feel alone, because they're just as confused as we are, that if there is, well, first of all, I think that both of us have a backup plan, is that if they get lost, they feel comfortable enough that we've given them the unconditional love and the non-judgment, that they do feel comfortable enough to come and talk to us, even about the hardest things. And that sounds like an ethereal world. And even if they are not prepared to talk to us as mothers or fathers, then they feel comfortable enough to talk to their sisters. That's why I think it's such a gift that all of them were born with sisters. I really, really do. I really hope and pray that they have the first, that they have a mother, then they have a father, and then they have their sisters to talk to if they ever feel alone. And then they have a father? Yes. That was such a... Uh, I'm sorry, but I just... The, a mother-daughter relationship is just different. It is definitely There are just different. some things that they can talk to. I mean, there are a billion things I could mm-hmm. never talk to my dad about that I can only talk to my mom because how would my dad ever know? There's an interesting overlap here. As I'm hearing like kind of both of you speaking and it's this topic, what it means to me so much, it goes, it extends beyond raising children. It's a way of living, like you're saying, in that you want to be an example. And how do I walk the walk? And there is a path. We talk about it every week, and I talk about it every day ad nauseum in my work, where there is an approach to not necessarily not dealing with hardship. And life is difficult a lot of times. And when life is confusing and when hormones are unregulated, it's going to be difficult. But there's a way to navigate through storms that has you minimize the collateral damage and give enough little tiny spaces to make changes. And like Laura, you say you always will talk to the kids. And Annette, you're saying you've been a great communicator. When if we try to talk to our kids when they are in the midst of a meltdown, it's only going to inflame things. There's a way of getting that energy out. Annette, you say like, oh, in the teenage years, there's a lot of time where the kids are just in their room, maybe brooding or maybe upset. But that's allowing. It's, there's so much turmoil. If you don't allow that turmoil to be released, it's going to just get inflammatory and mm-hmm. allowing that to happen. One of the major things that I think is creating a lot of disharmony and dysfunction in society right now is the access to social media. The access, mm. it used to be you send a child to their room and even if they get lost Absolutely. in something, it's not going anywhere. It's blowing up in their room and it doesn't seep out. They don't create from it. Nowadays, everyone's in a charged space and this is adults and children alike. And there's a way to displace it and project it. And it just creates more crap. And I think in the teenage years, their minds are so tumultuous. And I don't think it's very different than just any person in, on earth. We're walking around with our minds a lot of times very upset, very unsettled. And I talk a lot about we have our three inner children, our mind, body, and soul. And that mind is like this teenager that just sometimes doesn't shut up and thinks it knows everything. And it's emotionally charged and trying to create from that emotional place. And you just don't trust anybody that is navigating through life and creating life from a place of emotional upset. So 
the ability to allow for that upset, but to make sure it comes out without engaging with the outside world, I think is the way that at the very least you get through the teenage years and you haven't blown things up in the process. Anyway, hearing you guys, that's such a huge part where it's going to be an emotional stage and setting that stage where you can allow that release to happen. And then in that little window where there is some calm, yes, have a conversation, find that place of connection that's very grounding and recentering. Man, I don't know what's in store for us for the teenage years, but I think if we can maintain that kind of flow, because that's what I teach, that's what I try to do with myself. If I'm Mm -hmm. upset about something, I don't create, I remove myself, I let myself scream, I let myself say nasty things. Think about what kids say when, I hate you, I never want to see you again, you're the worst mother, you're... It's like, okay, you don't take it personally, you know they're just going off the scales, you let that rise and fall, and then they're done, and you're like, okay, now let's start plotting a path forward here. That to me is, if you can maintain that, it's what I want to do for my own growth. It's what I want to do for the girls' growth. I think that's kind of what our society needs a little bit. What do you think, Annette? Wow. You said so many things. Also, mm-hmm. I'll say, Laura, I think you had a great point that the sisterhood. Yes. I think Natalie as the oldest and Natalie and I have a very special relationship. And one of the things I want to honor is their relationship with one another. And one of the things I said to Natalie when the girls were in those awkward teen, tween, getting up into the teen years, and she was yet a good five years older than her sisters. I said, sweetie, they come to you. Just tell me what I need to know. I get it. You guys have to honor. But if you think there's something dangerous going on, that's when I really need you to break that code. and Come tell me what's going on. And she did. She did do that. (laughs) So because I wish... I just don't want to make it sound like the stories that I could tell you of the things that the girls did. And you're going to say, wow, why is she on? She is the worst parent ever. No. Your kids are going to do things and they're going to totally surprise you. They already things have went out in the middle of the night. Yeah. She went out in the middle of the night one time with a, got an Uber, another thing, access to everything. I think she was in eighth grade. She got an Uber with her friend in the middle of the night oh, to try boy. to meet this boy in a park. I, I never knew she was even gone. I oh, my I God. Literally, I'm going to kill her. Yeah, so. <laughs> Don't you have cameras and an alarm system? Come on. Microchips? I no, I did not. I mean, maybe now I would have like the ring light. I don't know. I didn't have it. I didn't know she did it. She could have been dead. The guy, the Uber driver could have taken both of those two totally. young girls. I, the images, <laughs> when I found out, and I didn't find out. I mean, I found out from the other mother because she found out. She called me. <sighs> and basically, what kind of mother are you? I didn't know that my oh, daughter left the house. On. And of course, one of the other girls knew. I know. I don't ever admonish anyone else's parenting. Because, you, you know, there's a whole bunch there. You just don't know oh, absolutely. about all the dynamics. Is it an infringement of rights to implant a GPS mm. tracking device in your children? <laughs> They're called AirTags. Actually, they do them for kids. Ananda would like one. <laughs> Honestly, those for college, those GPS things where I can look up where they are have been, especially Ingrid, like if I was looking where she is at two o'clock in the morning on a Friday night and could see that she was like in Hollywood and I knew that was a problem. Um, yeah, I'm so glad sometimes that I can uh, see what? her location. You do that? Well, I do. I don't know how I, I feel about that. that they yet. have needed me a lot. Well, she got herself in trouble in Hollywood. So I always feel better <laughs> knowing where they are. So, but I don't always. It's so funny because, again, they're all so different. It was Ingrid who went through this. Ingrid was the same one who got in the car with Uber, had this impulsive, sort of reckless behavior that we never knew where it was coming from. And I'm like, please let her executive function kick in. When is she going to cross over to the line? When is she going to stop? 
or not so funny. She's a great kid and she's a boyfriend right now and they saved their money all summer and his parents are extremely generous as well. And they got to go to Europe oh, and wow. very well planned out trip. The parents are really well planned out people. They're lovely people. They, he'd already been to Europe. So it wasn't like she's going with someone for, with it for the first time. It was like a two week trip. So everything was planned oh, out very oh, wow. carefully. And she saved Ingrid just turned 20. So she's going to be overseas and she's doing great. And they hit the first destination, you know, England. They get down to Paris. She doesn't like it at all. They go here, they go there. They get to Switzerland. They get to Milan. It's, the trip is almost coming to an end and all has gone well. You get the call from her boyfriend. Um, she's in the hospital in Milan oh. because she went out one night. Just It was the night. It was 95 degrees in Milan. They, she meets these girls and she's like, they were just like they were from Gossip Girl. So we got in a car with him and we just went to this club. And I don't know, I guess I had too many. Then she's on the floor and in Milan, they just called the ambulance. Anybody in Milan to give me, I'm like, so I called the hospital. I got the hospital's number, but I could not find anybody to speak English to me. That was the problem. I was saying things like Ingrid. I was saying things like English. I was saying things like emergency room. I did finally get to the emergency room, but that's the thing. In I guess in the lawn, when that kind of thing happens, and I think kids get drink too much and maybe pass out of the club. I don't know, but they called the ambulance right away. They took her outside to the street and her boyfriend was panicked. And it was somewhere on the way to the hospital where he called Nia, the boyfriend, not us first, I think, talking to the parents. And that scenario was a bit frightening for him because his parents had relayed to him, like, you're going with your girlfriend and you're to look out for her. Anyway, so they're all, Ingrid was okay. So wait, he called your youngest? He called Mia? He called Mia. First? Because, you know, he knows Mia. Mia's close to, Mia's 18. <laughs> Mia's close to Ingrid's age. They're very, very close, Mia That's and That's great. <laughs> Did Mia save the day? Like, was she sitting there with sage advice? No, Mia was saying to us, like, don't get upset. <laughs> when they start a sentence with that, it's always like, I'm bracing myself. Like, I know I'm, something upsetting is about to occur. <laughs> I think the thing is, Ingrid was okay. She'd been through, she's done things like that before, which is why it's funny, Laura, that you say you are conflicted about tracking them. It's interesting how much they do need you still my phone is on now at night. I mean, I loved and missed the days of looking in their room, seeing them sleep, and they look so peaceful. And I know they're in our home they're and safe. I know that they feel bright. They're out there now. They're out there. And sometimes those calls happen in the middle of the night. I'm so glad that I'm just sort of one of those people who sprouts right up. I'm like, okay, Bill almost needed to go to Hollywood. Inger thought it would be funny to go to a strip club. She'd never been there. She and her friends thought that would be like an experience. Well, it ended up being like gunshots and an experience. So oh it was really God. quite an experience. This conversation <laughs> is not healthy for me. Okay. This is not, no, <laughs> but you guys, the thing is, you don't know there. This is the thing they get, even when you Ingrid. Okay. So I could say the pitfalls we haven't fallen into. I, I'm fully believe our kids aren't doing drugs. However, when Anna tried something, <laughs> yeah, right. But when Anna tried something, she told me, I don't think any of them are like in any sorts of like addiction yes. in the throes of serious addiction, but they have tried things. They do get around people. Some of them are good. Some of them have influences that aren't as good. And you cannot control the environment no, the can't. way you can control it right now. That's no, all I'm can't. saying. So that's why that communication is so 
We have a family group chat. We talk to the girls. And I was, I think I told you, I chose with you, Laura, right before Mia left for college. We dropped off Mia at the end of August, which was very emotional. And Mia, oh my gosh, she's just the sweetest child and literally has not caused me one night of no sleep where Ingrid caused me a thousand. So <laughs> Mia's done the opposite. I think mom couldn't get through someone else like, but before we left, before she left, she, we stayed up late, late, late at night talking about our family, the things that she felt weren't right, where she felt like maybe Bill was too uneven. I don't know how, you don't want to go into all of that, but like, I would say that every family, what did Tolstoy say? Every happy family is the same. And every family that's unhappy family is completely unique in their own unhappiness. So the dynamics of our family, Bill added that spice. Let me just say the good part of the spice too is that he added that spice. So that's been a great thing for them. And our dynamic has been a positive thing for them to see two people really helping each other and who really do love each other, are committed to one another's growth and devoted to their outcome in terms of just life. So they've seen that, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect people. And that was one of the things that Mia had him as a perfect person and me too. It's funny. I was the one she highly criticized. And then all of a sudden it ended up being where I was the angelic one in her eyes and dad was like bad dad. And I'm like, but that's not true either. It's like neither of those things. Your dad and I are two really messed up people trying to do our very best. <laughs> like we're just trying so hard to do our best. Like we come up against all the ways that we were reared that were good and bad. We come up against our own imperfections and we're trying so hard to love you. But so at some point that like how they hold you in their minds, which is beautiful and innocent and sweet in a way perfect does come starts to come crashing down as they start to figure out who they are separate from you those make for some really tough conversations i'm thankful we've had them and that i'm the kind of person who can hold the criticisms well i don't get like offended like and try to change their narrative i let them have at it i just do laura because i ask them to always be respectful but it's sort of not fair but that wasn't the way it was and just defend my side I do try to gently say, like, your dad was going through this. We were, but there's hurt there and pain behind it and feeling he was volatile or feeling he was maybe not as honest as he should have been. He had reasons why he was being secretive, let's say. That just felt to them, what did it feel like? It felt they couldn't trust him. And so That's it was fair. I mean, to the, the trust thing is a really, really important piece of a relationship. So I felt like I emerged as really imperfect, but trustworthy. They get the straight story from me and I wasn't going to shy away from it and all of its ugly pieces. But instead, I was always trying to like build that bridge of communication. And when it was like too much, they were like, we're going to we're retreating to the room and we really don't want you in here right now because Anna, um, Mia and uh, Ingrid share a room. I would be like, okay, inevitably get the call from Natalie, my oldest daughter. Do you realize what you're doing to them? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, see, there's that backup plan. And what you're saying, I mean, the undertone is that they do feel safe enough to communicate with you. I mean, if you had that hard talk with Mia on the way to college, right? The hard words, the hard talk. She obviously feels like she trusts you. And that communication, I think it's really, really important to establish that. It's like, I say this to Adam all the time, even when the girls started talking, 
I had them say please and thank you. And I know there were so many people around me that thought it was totally ridiculous. Whatever age kids start talking, I don't remember. But for them to say please and thank you and have eye contact, because then there's no other way to do it, right? So when it does count, it's a matter of fact. You say please and thank you and you have great eye contact. And I think it's the same thing with the communication and the trust, that if you start it right from the beginning and constantly have those hard talks with them, and even about boys, and even right now, the girls roll their eyes when I say, okay, talk to me about this boy. Mom, and they roll their eyes. No, I don't <laughs> want to talk to you. But it eventually comes out where they end up vomiting about <laughs> all these little boys and how they feel about them. And I just hope that's that trust factor that when it does get into those crazy years, as much as they want to avoid and go into their little crawl space and they are judging themselves, feel like the whole world is judging them, that they can feel safe enough that there is one person out there that isn't going to judge them. And that might be me. Or they could at least go to their sisters and you just said it right there that the three of them shared the room and then you would immediately get that phone call from Natalie. So while they couldn't feel like at the time that they could share with you, they obviously felt like they could share it with Natalie. And there was that backup plan that just worked perfectly for you. That's true. I mean, I don't think I got some of the talks that I would expect to get. Like, let's say like talking about sex. I think they know how I feel about things like that, but ended up really keeping conversations of intimacy with boys they dated or whatever, more with not a first kiss kind of thing. I always seem to get the in on that one, but other, their relationships would grow and mature. I think they talked to their sisters more about those kinds of things. It's really funny, moms and daughters and the sex thing, because maybe I wasn't really good at that, but I would say two things about that. One I'd say is I never established a relationship with them, Laura, like I'm like their buddy. They actually don't want to hear about my problems. They don't definitely don't want to hear about my sex life. And I learned that too, because <laughs> They really don't. They are appalled. I'm sure they are. No one wants to hear about their parents' sex life. <laughs> no, it's, that's just like the worst thought to them. The face they make, like when I was pregnant with Georgia, Natalie was 15 and she was dis in disgust. She's like, ew, ew. She knew that she was like, mom, I'm like, well, I had no idea that the idea of your dad and I making a baby would be so upsetting for you. I mean, she was like, that is just gross. And I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, I found that to be so interesting. But I guess to like of Anna being 13 at the time and Natalie being 15 at the time, that was just like, they just were giggling and rolling their eyes and just thought that was the worst thing, <laughs> most disgusting thing they could have thought in their minds. But yes, I wasn't really buddies with them like that. I mean, do you think that relationship evolved? I think I've come, I believe this, it's different for some people who say they have a friendship with their kids, but I think they sort of always desire you a bit to be in that parental role. I mean, I think na naturally, you know what I'm saying? Like yes. even me, if my parents were living, I, I wish they were, but like I'm that way with my dad's brother, my uncle, I lean on him. And, and I think the way the girls lean on me is like, Hey, like they need me there as that generation that has, has reared them to lean on. And so it's not that they don't want to care about my problems. They do, but it's sort of different. I think that in the natural order of things, that's the role I need to hold up for them, Laura. Yes. And I hold that space as the person who's been through things and they can call. And I haven't ever gotten to the point where it's like, I'm totally sharing my secrets with them. And I will say I got closest to that with Natalie. 
closest to that. And I think it was a huge mistake when it was happening, when Bill was going through things and I sort of leaned on her in that way. Mm. I think it could have ruined her, quite honestly. It's the thing we talk about the most, that Mm. when she's upset, like, I wish you wouldn't have come to me in that way when you were so upset. And I'm always like, I'm so sorry that I did. I had no one else I could trust and turn to. And I shouldn't have done that to you. That was too much for her. And she couldn't say it because she's my daughter, right? And she loves me so much. She loves me. I mean, this girl looked up to me and loves me. And I was sharing with her and it wasn't good for her. And so I learned from that. I will say in life, I do feel like when people say people don't grow and change. No, I disagree 100%. If they want to, they definitely do. Because I didn't make that mistake again with my other girls. So yeah, it was exactly. So you've got to forgive yourself too. Like, should I beat myself up for all of eternity? I really wish I hadn't done that with her. I do see how it affected her and changed things about her, especially her relationship with her father. I ended up being a wrench in that for a little while. Since been worked out, but I can't go back and change it. And I didn't do it again. And I had to forgive myself that at that time I was in a rough spot and vulnerable and needing someone I could trust. Again, it was Natalie. She had that kind of relationship where I could talk about what was happening with her dad and his, you know, addiction. So, but I shouldn't have done it. And things happen like that, I guess I should say. I think you bring up an awesome point about even just like that executive order and children need a parent. Like you said, it's it's natural order and Mm -hmm. that executive function. It's like where parents act as that executive function And even as the children start learning how to take ownership of that executive function, it's always nice to know there is some presence in their life that is in that corner. And the second you start becoming their friend more than providing that executive function, it's almost too much. So where is that balance? Because you could also have an authoritative figure where that backfires well, on yeah, children you, as well. That's the point. Where's I think, that balance? How you say, like where they feel safe enough. And Laura, as mothers to daughters, if you're saying, hey, it's safe with me. I am going to love you, accept you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to value you unconditionally. That is not even on the table. That said, I'm also here in that role of executive function where I'm helping you maintain order in your life making sure you don't lose that point of inspiration for your life, that you still feel like you're being true to yourself, but you have someone in your corner that is helping to shape you You and guide you because they want to feel independent, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to feel they're being controlled, but they want to feel like there is someone they can turn to Mm -hmm. when they feel lost. They need a North Star. Yeah. Right. And that's honestly, a lot of the self-work is the same thing. It's training people how to identify as the king or the queen of themselves, the parent to themselves, instead of just identifying as that mind, that brain, that teenager inside that feels lost and overwhelmed and responds and reacts to life emotionally. It's little by little, can you identify as the presence that's overseeing that? And you're not trying to deny that you have a side of yourself that is lost and getting caught up in the fray. You honor that. And you let that spot, you let that part of you have a place. When I say people, you need to do release work. It's Mm -hmm. allowing that mind, even sometimes, not just the soul, but the mind to have his or her temper tantrum and just express it. And it's safe to harbor really vile thoughts, really nasty, negative things. It's okay. There's a safe place and I'm not going to let anyone else see it or hear it, but I'm going to let my mind, my little adolescent inside go off. 
And what that does is it allows that energy, that charge to, it rises and then falls and it dissipates. And then there's a calm afterwards. And that's when I could reestablish connection to myself, make some adjustments. Make decisions. Make decisions. You make it from there. And when adolescents feel safe enough when they're in a charged place, that they have a place that they can discharge all of that and then have someone help mirror it back and guide them a little bit without controlling them, that's huge. So where are those places where they can discharge? Like, let's give a couple of examples of healthy places where they can discharge. Because to me, it seems like when you talk about an adult, that adult has this unruly mind and these crazy thoughts, right? An adolescent mind. And we go off and we express those in a safe place, right? So it might be in a bedroom. It might be going out for a walk. Keep in mind, most people don't do that. Most I know, people, but I'm saying it comes ideally, out sideways. Right, ideally. so ideally. So, but a teenager, hormonally and chemically, they are constantly going through the adolescent mind, yeah. right? They have the adolescent mind. So where are those safe places and what are those safe things that they can do? Where is that discharge? What does it look like? What can times, it look like? Just like adults, adults that don't discharge it, they're not ahead of that curve. They end up, the second they have some freedom, exploding Friday and Saturday nights, they're like, well, I've been pent up all week. I'm going to have all these emotions. And they just get inebriated or they just numb themselves in some way or they just lower their inhibition so they can just be like, ah. But again, it's out in public and it can come out sideways and it can cause collateral damage. It's really just about realizing they still need to release that energy, but you do it in private. And so coming up with ways. You could do it through running. You could do it through exercise. If you feel free enough to attach your emotion to the actions, to the exercise, just calling up. I mean, talking is a great way to do it. You call up your best friend. You just kind of like, I'm just going to bitch and moan for a little bit here. I don't Mm -hmm. even need you to say anything. I just need to get this up and out of me so I can stabilize. That's great. For me, my dad, when I was a kid, I would get so pent up with anxiety and he would have me go in the car and it's like what planted the seed for me to begin with and scream. And I would scream and it would regulate. My stomach would be more relaxed afterwards. That's kind of where I got the idea from all this in the first place. Mm -hmm. I'm just making sure to like get it out of my system in a visceral way. But let's be clear that when you go and turn on the TV or when you go and stare at the phone on Facebook or when you turn to alcohol or when you turn to food, those are not healthy releases because you're not actually releasing. So even to me, I was taught at a very young age. I had a running coach at a very young age. And he said, never any music, right? You run free. And I really still to this day value that because when I go out for a run, I can do major release work. But if I were to be listening to music or listening to a podcast, what people often do, I wouldn't be processing any of my emotions or releasing them at all. A good analogy is the garbage buildup in your house. Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing to tie it up and maybe throw it in a closet. And you're like, oh, there you go. I don't know, garbage. And that's like the distraction. Put your trash in its place. We have a podcast. Right. And it's like, no, you got to take it outside of the house. Yes. That's the only way it's not going to start accumulating. You can't just shove it here, shove it there. I think, honestly, it's just like you said, chemically speaking, there's just so many changes going on in adolescence that it's not fair to tell them to be always so stable. I think the real nugget here, and maybe it's just even the magic seed, is if you're going to be going through a tumultuous time in your life, and yeah, it's developmentally, biologically, it's just adolescence that comes with the package, 
But it's no different than Annette and Bill going through a bit of turmoil in their marriage. You and I going through a bit of turmoil in our marriage or COVID hitting and it disrupts life or maybe you go into economy going into recession. There's just times that are very difficult and there's a lot to process and you can't necessarily control it. But if you can get ahead of it by saying, I know I am building up this garbage inside very fast. And I, I'm having trouble now living without feeling that garbage inside me. It's how often do I have to press pause on my life and take the garbage out? Even though it's not solving the problem, it's making sure I'm not always on the verge of blowing up. So I think that you said so many great things there. And don't let me forget the one thing I really want to ask you slash say to you, Adam, but back to about releasing, for example, for Ingrid, our daughter who had the most sort of impulse control issues, she always did the best at school and in life when she was playing sport. Totally. Always. Mm-hmm. That running and playing lacrosse, that just, she was great lacrosse player, great runner. It did something for her where like, it's just what you said. It must have been the release she needed being out there, being physical with a bunch of other people having a competition, playing soccer, she played soccer and lacrosse. And that was so good for her to get all that out. She did the best. And we were always like, just continue sports somewhere in college because that will still be a good, like you said, regulator for you. And so I think that's great. Another thing that Ingrid does is she's said has really helped her is breathing exercises. She's like, mom, Mm -hmm. I never thought much of that, but I went to this breathing class. It was available. I thought it would be interesting. I could not believe how calming it was. And don't you do that already with the girls, Laura? Yes. Breathing, was, yoga, meditation. Yeah. Yes. See, it was something that I didn't really like, especially the breathing part was just like she was just practicing these different. She went to a class with like, all kinds of different breathing. And she's like, mom, at the end of it, I was like wiped out. But I was also like in this state of complete like relaxation and calm. And mm. now she was really loved that. So I think that there's these things that we have to do. So we don't take it out, the normal stuff, in horrible ways. What I wanted to ask you, Adam, or say was, it's sort of a loaded question, but do we ever really grow up? I mean, I think we try in these different roles, right? And I think I can really offer a lot to my girls as a mom, but that person in me still sometimes wants to be a child and be taken care of. I mean, I guess, does that sound absolutely insane? That's our responsibility is our parents do hopefully as good a job as they can. And we get a certain allocation of resources and tools, and then we're on our own. But that doesn't mean we stop growing. We need to continually evolve. We want to grow into a better and better version of ourselves. We want to learn to take over, take the keys to the house, take the keys to the kingdom, and get really good at running that our own kingdom. And if we just rely on the programs we have when we're stopped being taught by parents or teachers or whatever, whoever it may be, that's going to be a pretty stunted growth. It's good. It's a good start. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm trying to constantly, continuously grow and evolve. And I'm totally fine knowing that I hope I'm embarrassed of my growth, my development at this age, 20 years from now. I'm like, wow, I got through it somehow. But wow, I mean, what was I lacking at that point? I didn't even realize it. There's so much, I'm sure, so many blind spots I have. And I know everyone's like that. And I just want to have them be shown to me and let my failures reveal where my disconnects are to how I take care of myself and how I show up in this world and how I show up for other people and be willing to grow 
in that capacity. So I think a lot of people don't, Annette. I think a lot of people, they accept the allotment of tools they have once they become a quote unquote an adult and they do the best they can. And their coping mechanisms are when they reach things that they can't really cope with, they numb themselves, they distract, they let it come out sideways and they find codependent relationships to enable their insecurity. So I think we can do it. I think it's kind of our responsibility to ourselves to constantly challenge ourselves to grow. One of the podcasts or one of the recordings I had talked about when the kids were young and they would start misbehaving and having tantrums, I would eventually turn to myself and look at myself. And I was in a frantic state and I had always known that when I was calm, that's when the kids were calm. And similarly, I'm hearing that if we do our work as adults, instead of just pointing the finger and saying, oh my gosh, I have crazy teenagers and I want to quit. If you're doing your work, that alone will be the role model. You'll be a role model. If you're doing your work and you're constantly releasing and then eventually at a state of calmness, your teenagers, they will maybe not necessarily see that, but eventually they will feel that. Exactly. How many times do parents say, I was trying to teach my children for years and years. I didn't think anything was getting through. And then they got in their mid-20s or late 20s and they were like, ah, mom, thanks so much for teaching. Like, you didn't listen to me once. And they're like, well, it kind of added up. On an energetic level. Like Annette, you said, like your job is to lead by example. That's going to be the best teacher. And I think just to the point, a lot of times the teenage years are such tumultuous years. You're really just trying to help them get through it without Mm -hmm. things blowing up. Right. With honestly, I used to think to myself, they're all alive. They're all healthy. Seriously, <laughs> I would, alive. does that seem like a low bar? But like, so I would try to do those little <laughs> things like I'll make a banana bread because I know that Ingrid loves banana bread and do those little things to show them like these acts of love when they were in various modes of grumpy states. But that. I think that the parenting is such an honorable role. And I think one of the reasons, one of the things that I get about it or I think about it is I can't think of anything that's more worthy of my time and thought and energy than trying to raise a human being and show them that they are loved. So because of that alone, do you know what I mean? That alone, I feel like is I get the value of that. And some people, I think I just have kids like it's just like, well, it's one more thing you're doing as opposed and you're also doing this and you're also doing that. But I mean, I am involved in and want to be helpful to them and want to be, like you said, that guidepost for them that light. So yeah, because I value that so much, I think that that, and I honor that role so much, and there's not like a competition for me that anything else is a more important thing to be, then I think that they know that. Like Mia said to me, I really miss your cooking mom. That made me so happy. I'm like, well, you're comparing it right now to like cafeteria food. food. This is a very, (laughs) the cafeteria food's got to be about the lowest bar we could have there, but still made me feel great. And to know that you gave someone like that memory of the smell, Ingrid liked, I mean, Mia likes egg in the middle. So to know that she has that, like, can you make that for me today? Or can you do this? Oh my gosh, Laura, that means you've created like some, because how much is it that those beautiful memories from our childhood sustain us? Their sustenance and their food for us, those the good things. You have reverence for being a parent and a mother, and that is felt on so many levels, especially when they get older. Despite the screw-ups that I get, oh, Laura, Laura, your girls, this is what's great about girls. I hear that boys don't do this as much, but the girls let you know. They're like, 
why do you even marry dad? I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Uh, I do that to my mom all the time. <laughs> Still. <laughs> you married him. <laughs> I know. There you go. <laughs> so what's the magic seed here, Dr. Grice? There's so many magic there seeds. There are, I think. It's ridiculous. The things that kind of popped out to me, one is being able to maintain that connection. And you have to let go so much. You have to allow some freedom there. You have to allow them to sort through things, but to make sure that you always maintain a place of connection so they can come back to it. I think it's so important for them to have a North Star, not overly controlling, but they just know it's there. And it's very unsettling, I think, for parents because you're just, like you said, you can't look in their bed at night and be like, aw. Right. You're like, oh my God, you're in Hollywood and what the hell are you doing at 2.30 <laughs> right. in the morning? That's really unsettling. But that's our job as a parent is to make sure we maintain that sense of unconditional love and support and acceptance and then try to hopefully help them learn how to get these emotions out, how to regulate them so that they're not spending a lot of time creating from that charged place. And I think we, it's something we take for ourselves as well. Like if we are charged, if we are like an adolescent, get out that energy to kind of calm down and then figure out your direction, then figure out what you want to do because you're going to see things more clearly and think more rationally and create a better plan going forward. And adolescents really don't have that capacity so much. So to just maintain a point of connection with your children. So if they do come to you, they can count on that. So you can be their North Star. Yeah. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Even when they basically tell you they hate you and they don't want a North Star. <laughs> No. Like Annette says, like they do, they, they do. just don't want it in their face. There's actually a fact that I didn't mention. They still love you. They still appreciate you. Even when they say that they don't, it's like 80% still really, really count on you as a parent. I'm going to hold on to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Annette, for sharing your thank life. Thank you. You're and so welcome. I hope we can figure Always. out more reasons to have you back. Absolutely. On. Until next week, nothing but love. <laughs>